At Woodside Bible Church, we gather each week to pursue God by studying His Word together. As we've turned the page to a new year, many are wondering what will come next and how to navigate it when it does. We invite you to tune into our series, What Now? How Tomorrow Shapes Today, as we explore the words of Jesus in Matthew 24 and 25. Together, we'll learn to look toward the future because what we believe about tomorrow defines the way we'll spend today. Let's discover God's answer to the question on everyone's mind. What now? All right, if you would, uh, this morning, take out your Bible and turn with me to Matthew chapter 25. Matthew chapter 25. You know, today, as I mentioned already, is, marks the beginning of Holy Week. Holy Week is the week that uh, we spend time throughout the one time week throughout the year where we remember the, the last week of Jesus' life uh, on earth here in, in his ministry on earth. As we, we begin on Palm Sunday and we move towards the crucifixion on Good Friday and then his final uh, resurrection on Easter Sunday. And it seems as though uh, as we enter into this, and you can, you can follow along uh, in Holy Week in the Gospel accounts. You, you can look in uh, Matthew chapter uh, 20, beginning in Matthew chapter 21, all the way through the end of Matthew, gives us this beautiful account of the last week of Jesus' life here on earth. And it's an amazing uh, journey. And maybe that's what you want to do this week as you prepare. Maybe spend a little bit of time reading a little bit from like Matthew 20, 21 and then 22, 23, 24, 25, 26, 27, 28. And uh, then you get to the end and you'll see his resurrection and, and all the excitement that comes along with that. But as I've been walking through again, just reminding myself of uh, Holy Week and what does it mean and what is Jesus doing? And as I've read through it again this season, I'm reminded that Jesus seems to be doing something pretty amazing. What Jesus seems to be doing during this Holy Week is he's pulling back the curtain. It's almost as though he's identifying and revealing true identities. Right, as we walk through the, the, the characters that are involved in this narrative, as we see Jesus unfolding his further plan, we see that he's pulling back the curtain and allowing people to see their true identities. Through Holy Week, we see Jesus' true identity. We see the true identity of the religious leaders. We see the identity of the crowd. And we see the identity of the righteous. All of these things Jesus is revealing. Right, so on, on Palm Sunday, that, that Sunday that Jesus enters in Jerusalem... We see that as he begins the unstoppable movement towards the cross, that's as he's coming into Jerusalem, we see that the crowds around him, they've been witnessing Jesus and watching his ministry, and they think that, they, they think that Jesus is the person that is going to come to finally bring peace. And they think that Jesus is the one that's going to finally restore all the things that were wrong. And they think that Jesus is the one that's going to do it by overthrowing the Roman government. And so as they see Jesus riding into the city, they begin to shout, Hosanna, Hosanna. And they lay their cloaks down and they take palm branches and they lay it on the ground before Jesus. And so Jesus has this amazing welcome into the city. And then on Monday, as we read in scripture, we see that Jesus then goes into the temple. And while Jesus is in the temple, we see that he reveals 
that the true the worship that was taking place in the temple had gotten all wrong. And this place of worship had turned into a place of extortion. So Jesus comes in and he rips the temple up. He's turning over tables and he's getting all of these, these people outside of the temple. And he's saying, leave this place for you have made this house of prayer a den of robbers. And Jesus is ticked off. And then we see t- Tuesday, Jesus enters into debate with the religious leaders. And he pronounces judgment on these religious leaders. In Matthew chapter uh, 23, verse 1, this is what Jesus says. So Jesus is looking at the crowd as he's just given it to the religious leaders. And he says this, the teachers of the law and the Pharisees sit on Moses' seat. So they must be careful. So you must be careful to do everything that they tell you, but do not do what they do, for they do not practice what they preach. They tie up heavy, cumbersome loads and put them on other people's shoulders, but they themselves are not willing to lift, lift a finger to move them. So Jesus is pulling back the curtain for these religious leaders. The religious leaders that are supposed to lead the people of God and bring them closer uh, to the presence of God in faith are now making it more impossible for God's people to get close to God. And they'd become hypocrites. And then we see on Tuesday, Jesus also takes his disciples in Matthew chapter 24 and 25, which is what we've been studying in this series as he takes them up to the Mount of Olives and begins to tell them about the things that are to come and how to be prepared. Jesus says, life is going to get hard until he returns again. Life is going to become more difficult. And he says, but be prepared. Don't be alarmed when you see difficult times coming to the people of God. He says, don't be deceived when you see other people coming and, and claiming to be the Messiah. Don't believe them, but instead be faithful as you wait for his return. And then he promises, as we saw last week, that each one will be judged. We all will be judged for how we live our life. And then Jesus goes on Wednesday. And Wednesday we see that it's almost as though Jesus is silent. We don't, there's no recorded activity of what Jesus is doing, but we do see some things taking place on Wednesday. It's on Wednesday that the chief priests plot to kill Jesus. It's when they go and, and Judas comes to them and he, he promises that he will betray Jesus into their hands for 30 pieces of silver. And we see Judas' true identity come out. And we see the religious leaders, again, their true identity is coming out. As they're not really, they don't really care for the heart of God, but they want to destroy God's plan. And then on Thursday, we see Jesus celebrating the Last Supper, the Passover meal, with his disciples in the upper room. We see Jesus washes his disciples' feet, and we see that Jesus is teaching his disciples about true servanthood, true love, that love is great. And Jesus tells them again in the Last Supper, he says, I'm going to die, but I'm coming again and do all of these things to remember me. We see Jesus gets betrayed on late, late, late Friday, or late, late Thursday night, early, early Friday morning. Jesus gets betrayed and handed over, and he has to stand stand trial before the Jews. And they make up a whole bunch of lies about him, but they know that they can't themselves persecute him, so they hand him over to Pilate. 
And so he stands early Friday morning, he stands trial before Pilate. And what's interesting about this is Pilate, who represents the largest, most powerful political movement in the world had ever known at that time, we see that even Pilate is powerless. How is Pilate powerless? Because he knew that Jesus wasn't guilty. He knew it. God had revealed it to him and placed it on his heart that God was, that Jesus was not guilty, but yet we see that one that represented the most powerful nation on the world at the time was powerless to stop it. He was powerless to stop the plan of God. And then we see the crowd, the same crowd that was cheering Hosanna in the highest, now is cheering crucify him. Revealing the real heart of the crowd. Because what they had just witnessed is this Jesus, whom they thought was going to come and restore everything, has just spent the week wrecking everything. Everything that they believed, everything that they followed, all the religious practices, Jesus has now flipped upside down and they're ticked off and they want him to pay. They feel like Jesus duped them. And so now they're angry at Jesus and they're saying, crucify him, crucify him, crucify him. And Jesus goes to a cross and he gets crucified. And then he gets buried. And that's where we think the story ends. For on Saturday, a day of silence, a day of mourning, a day of questioning. But God does not speak. And then it's not until Sunday morning in Matthew chapter 28 that we see the resurrection takes place. That Jesus on that Sunday morning reveals his true identity. That he is the one that God has promised. That he is God himself. That he is the one that is the conquering king that deals with sin and provides forgiveness and peace. If it wasn't for the resurrection, you and I would have no hope. But because of the resurrection, we have hope. And so I'm so thankful that we have the opportunity to live on this side of Jesus' resurrection. We're not waiting for him to come. We're not waiting for him to deal with sin. He's already done it. But what we're doing, as we see from the passage that we've been walking through, is that we're waiting for Jesus' return. We live in this time of waiting. And the passage in the series that we've been looking at, we've been looking at Jesus' teaching about the future. Knowing what is to come helps inform us of how we should live today. And that's what we're going to see as we conclude this series today. What we, by knowing what happens in the future informs how we live today. And as we look at and conclude this passage today, what I hope we are able to see from Scripture is that our actions reveal our identity. What we do with our lives shows who we are. And I think that's the heart of what Jesus is getting to, just as it's the heart of what he's getting to through Holy Week. As he's revealing all identities, he now wants us to understand who we are impacts how we live and what we do. Let's look with me uh, together in Matthew chapter 25, beginning in verse 31. Verse 31. Jesus says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, then he will sit on his glorious throne. Before him will be gathered all the nations and he will separate people one from another as a shepherd separates the sheep from the goats. And he will place the sheep on his right, but the goats on, his, on the left. Then the king will say to those on the right, come you who are blessed by my father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. 
For I was hungry, and you gave me food. I was thirsty, and you gave me drink. I was a stranger, and you welcomed me. I was naked, and you clothed me. I was sick, and you visited me. I was in prison, and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, did we see you hungry and feed you, or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you, or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the king will answer them, Truly I say to you, as you did to the one of the least of these, my brothers, you did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you curse, into the eternal fire prepared for the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer, saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or a stranger or naked or sick or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to the one of least of these, you did not do it to me. And these will go away into eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. The passage of scripture that we look at today is a very, it's, deep with blessing, but also a sober warning. We see that Jesus, at a time that's coming in the future, is going to judge all. Everyone that has been given the breath of life will be judged. And there's going to be a great distinction. And today, as we look at this passage, I want us to see three truths about what Jesus is trying to help us understand today so that we can make changes in our lives today so that we can be prepared for God's coming, or Jesus is coming again. The first thing that we need to see in this passage is that Christ will one day gloriously return. Jesus is coming back. He has not left us here on his own, but he's waiting for the time for the Lord God himself to go to Jesus and say, go get your bride. And at that moment, Jesus is going to come and he's gonna come back in a way that is gonna be glorious and it's going to be amazing. Look at how the, the scripture defines it and describes it. It says, when the Son of Man comes in his glory and all the angels with him, he will sit on his glorious throne. Matthew's trying to help us understand that in Jesus' words are trying to help us understand that Jesus' return is not going to be like his first coming. Remember Jesus' first coming? He came in the obscure little town of Bethlehem. Remember, he came as a baby that was laid in a manger. And there were no big parades. There were no big fanfares. We had lowly shepherds show up and to worship Jesus on that day. It was a quiet moment. Even though heaven had invaded earth, it was a, it was a life-changing, history-altering moment. But the world was, didn't know about it. But now we see as Jesus comes in his second return, it is going to be glorious. It is going to be uh, with a lot of fanfare. All the angels in heaven are going to come with him. And then Jesus is going to sit on his glorious throne. His return will be unmistakable. It will be the most public event in all human history. And when he comes, he's going to sit on his throne and the first thing that he is going to do as he sits on his glorious throne is he's going to begin to separate people. He's going to begin to execute his judgment. 
He will separate the nations. All the nations, the Bible tells us there, that all the nations will be presented before him. And, and what that means is all the peoples. Every person that has ever been given the breath of life will stand before Jesus on this glorious day. And then what Jesus is going to begin to do is he's going to separate the sheeps from the goats. Now, this is imagery that goes back to the Old Testament. Old Testament imagery often would, would see God's people as the sheep and would often see the Gentiles as goats. And what Jesus is doing is he's playing on that Old Testament imagery to now talk about those that believe in Jesus and have faith in Jesus and those that don't. So even though right now the, the, it looks like a mob of people that are standing before the throne, Jesus knows who the sheep are and Jesus knows who the goats are. And in that moment, they will be separated. I'll never forget the first time in my life that this imagery became more real to me. It was a time in which I was in West Africa. We were uh, going through reaching unreached people groups. And so we were going basically from tribe to tribe, from village to village. And as we'd enter into a village, one of the things that we would do is we would ask for the chief. And the chief was usually the patriarch of, of that little village. Now, when I'm talking about a village, I'm talking about more like a subdivision. Okay, that's about how much land these villages have. Think about it like a medium-sized subdivision. And so we'd go into the village and, and we'd meet uh, the chief. And we'd sit down with the chief and we would uh, introduce ourselves and say that we are people of God and we are people of prayer. And we would love to share with you stories about our God. And usually the chiefs would uh, welcome us to sit down. And I'll never forget, we were in this one village at this one time. And uh, we're sitting right outside uh, the chief's hut. Now his, his hut is made up of um, mud and clay kind of block. And he's got a metal roof. And so we're sitting there, and it's hot. It's like 100 and something degrees. And we're just talking. And all of a sudden, I, I just get this, I have this sense of being able to see what's going on. And I see all of these sheep, and I see all these goats. And they're like just walking through the village, just minding their own business. And there's this one sheep that's like the yelling sheep. You guys seen the yelling sheep? The one goes, ah! Yeah, he was there that day. And I, I, that commercial, that Geico commercial or whatever, I just keep playing in my mind as I'm trying to tell this guy about Jesus. The sheep is like screaming and yelling at me over here. And I'm like, come on, guys, get it together. And so anyways, we're talking. And I just notice all of these sheep and these goats just walking through the village. And I'm like, I go to the chief. And I'm like, whose sheep and goats are all these? And he's like, well, some of them are mine. Some of them are my brothers. Some of them are my, my cousins. And some are the guy down the street. And, and again, I'm... I'm bringing his words into like our modern day English so you can understand. And so he's, he's saying that all of that. And I'm like, man, that's crazy. And I asked him this question. I said, well, how do you know which sheep and which goats are yours? Wait, like, how do you know? Like, how do you know if you're going to take this sheep and use the wool from the sheep or you need to eat and you need goat's milk or whatever? How do you know they're yours? And this is what he said. And I was shocked at what he said. He said to me, you know what? My sheep and my goats, they know my voice. And when I call to them, they come. I was like, I know a story from God's word just about that. And so I got a chance to share, him, share with him about what Jesus has to say about that. And though in, in that sense, the sheep and goats belong to one, Jesus takes the story a little bit different. He says, no, there's only two distinctions. There are sheep and there are goats. Some are headed towards blessing, and some are headed towards cursing. And this is the scene of what Jesus is giving us today. 
the sheeps will enter into the blessing of Jesus and the goats will be separated in towards torment into an eternal fire. And the reality of Jesus' teaching here today for believers, if you're here today and you are a believer, this should be sweet to you. Realizing that as we walk through this difficult life that's full of brokenness, that's full of pain, with our faith in Jesus, we have a promise that we will be in the blessed presence of God for eternity. Let that rest on you. Let that allow you to know that this life is not as good as it gets. And yet we're waiting for a time in which Jesus comes again and takes us into his presence. But not only should it be sweet, but this teaching, this truth of God's word should also be sobering to us. Why should it be sobering? Because on that day, when we stand before God, those that we love, those that we know, those that we know their faces, we know their life stories, they may not actually be a sheep. We may be separated from those that we love because they do not have faith in Jesus. Let that be sobering. Parents, you may have children that are separated from you. Children, you may have parents that are separated from you. Spouses, you may have a spouse that's separated from you. Your neighbors, the ones that you cared for, the ones that mowed your lawn, the ones that helped you day in and day out, they may be separated from you. Co-workers may be separated from you. Let the reality of that rest on us today. This isn't a game. We're not here playing around. We're here with a purpose. God is saying, Jesus is reminding us, there's coming a day when he's going to sit on his glorious throne and there's going to be a great separation. And it's going to be sweet, but it's also going to be sobering. But if you're here today and you're an unbeliever, allow this teaching to be a warning to you. You're here today and your fate is not yet sealed. Today you have the opportunity to place faith in Jesus. Because you've still been given life and Jesus has not yet returned, you have the gift of God's grace and God's mercy and God is withholding his judgment from you right now. But there's coming a time when God's judgment will not be restrained any longer. So be warned. If you're listening today and you don't know Jesus, this is an opportunity for you to hear his voice and respond to him in faith. It's simply calling out on the Lord, saying, Lord, I know I'm a sinner. Lord, I know I, I, I deserve judgment. I deserve punishment because I've done wrong. I'm evil in my heart and I need you to save me. And you call on Jesus because Jesus did the work. On the cross, Jesus stepped in and took the punishment that was due you and due me. He endured the wrath of God. Jesus died and God raised him from the dead. And by doing that, Jesus allows us, he provides forgiveness for our sins and he brings us peace to God. But we must believe in Jesus. First thing, be reminded that Jesus is coming back. There will be a great separation. 
But then the second truth I want us to see is that faith without works is worthless. As we look at these next few verses, what we're going to see is Jesus is going to give us the foundation of those that are the sheeps and those that are goats. What's the difference between a sheep and what's the difference between a goat? So that we will know, so that we will be informed. Look at me in verse 34. This is how he explains. He says, Then the king will say to those on his right, Come, you who are blessed by my Father, inherit the kingdom prepared for you from the foundation of the world. For I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. Then the righteous will answer him, saying, Lord, did we see you hungry and feed you or thirsty and give you a drink? And when did we see you as a stranger and welcome you or naked and clothe you? And when did we see you sick or in prison and visit you? And the Lord will answer them, truly I say to you, you did it to one of the least of these, my brothers. You did it to me. Then he will say to those on his left, depart from me, you cursed into eternal fire, prepared for you and the devil and his angels. For I was hungry and you gave me no food. I was thirsty and you gave me no drink. I was a stranger and you did not welcome me. Naked and you did not clothe me. Sick and in prison and you did not visit me. Then they will answer him saying, Lord, when did we see you hungry or thirsty or stranger or naked or in prison and did not minister to you? Then he will answer them saying, truly I say to you, as you did not do it to one of the least of these, you did not do it to me. So Jesus clearly is talking about two different types of people. The sheeps are on his right and the goats are on his left. And in his right hand, he says, you that are in my right hand are at a place of blessing, but those that are on the left are not blessed, but you are cursed. And this is what he says is the big difference. The big difference is how both of these groups responded to the person of Jesus. Do you see that? It, it all boils down to how they treat Jesus. Either they believe Jesus is who he says he is or he is not. And their, the basis of their faith and what Jesus, Jesus is getting here to is the basis of faith that shows itself in works. Not, Jesus is not saying here that the basis, when you stand before God, you show him all of your works, and he says, oh, okay, you're faithful, so now come into heaven. That's how some people come to this passage, and they say, hey, this is what Jesus is talking about. If I do enough good in my life, then I get an excess entrance into the kingdom of God. And I, I want you to understand the, the challenges of that. There are so many people believe that. They believe, I'm a good person, and so I'm going to get into heaven because I'm a good person. I, I've done more good in my life than I've done bad. And the problem with that mentality, the, the problem with that lifestyle is are you really keeping track? Are, are you keeping a list? Do you have a ledger at home of all your good deeds and, and your bad deeds? Right? Do you know for sure that you've done more good than you've done bad? I think that's a horrible way to live because there's no way of knowing. There's no assurance of whether you are saved or not. That's a horrible way to live. If you're living that way, just stop because that's not what Jesus is teaching. It's not about how much good you've done in your life. But what Jesus is getting to the heart of this teaching here today is the righteous feed, water, welcome, clothe, and visit from a place of faith, 
not for salvation, but it's from their place of salvation, from being saved, that they now serve. And who is it that they serve? More specifically, Jesus is clearly in the context talking about other, other people in the family of God. He's not, not talking about leading some, some social movement to help all the ills of the world. What he's saying clearly, specifically, is our first place that we go and we show our faith is by serving the brothers, those that are inside the family of God. Because this is it. This is the reason that he wants us to first and focus, primarily focus on the family of God. Because if the family of God is healthy, the family of God grows. Right? If the family of God is healthy, the family of God grows. If the family of God is not healthy, the family of God does not grow. And so what he's saying is, is we in our lives, with whatever talents he's given us from last week, with whatever he's blessed us with, the first place that we should go is to help each other. Because when we're healthy, we grow. And when we grow, the kingdom of God expands. This is what he's saying. Jesus is not promoting a social gospel here, as some would say. Jesus is saying, take care of the family of God. When you see with your eyes... This is important. In order to see with our eyes, we have to be present. Right? You can't know the family of God is hurting if you're not a part of the family of God. Right? You don't know that your brother is going through a difficult time. You don't know your brother has just been laid off. You don't know if your sister just got the, the, the diagnosis that she's got cancer. You don't know that stuff unless you're here. Unless you're connected to the community and a part of the family of God, you don't know what's going on. And I know this has been a deeply challenging year for the family of God. As we've been forced to be separated and as we come back together and we're trying to figure this out, what does this new life look like? I want to encourage you to stay connected to the family of God so that we can see each other's needs and be there for each other, clothe each other, give each other water, cover the nakedness, when we find ourselves broken and in prison because we've messed up. So many times people in the world want to reject those that have messed up, not in the family of God. Not in the family of God. When we see our brother in sin, our, our brother that's, that's walked through a season of sin and now is living in the consequences of a sin, what should we do? We run to our brother and remind him of the grace and mercy of God. Not judgment, not condemnation. See, the reason that I believe Jesus wants us to understand this and see this is because the world, those that don't know Jesus, have no concern for the people of God. Right? The, the, the people of the world that don't yet know Jesus are in it for themselves. They live lives thinking that my, my only goal in life is to be happy of myself. But that's not what Jesus is teaching here. Jesus is those that have true faith do the work and do the ministry of serving. Now, just so we're, we're clear that it's never been about works, it's always been about faith, I want us to, to look real quickly at the, the writings of James. James is the half-brother of Jesus, who, while Jesus was alive, did not believe in Jesus. It wasn't until after Jesus died and was resurrected that James came to faith in his half-brother. He believed that Jesus was the Son of God, the one that could save the world from our sins. And he then becomes a leader within the church and even writes the book of James. And this is what he says about how faith and works come together. 
He says, what good is it, my brother, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? Can that faith save him? If a brother or sister is poorly clothed and lacking in daily food, and one of you says to them, go in peace, be warm and filled, without giving them the things they need for the body, what good is that? So also, faith by itself, it does not have works, it's dead. But if someone will say, you have faith and I have works, show me your faith apart from your works and I will show you my faith by my works. You believe that God is one and you do well. Even the demons believe and shudder. Do you want to be shown, you foolish person, that faith apart from works is useless? Was not Abraham our father justified by works when he offered up his son Isaac on the altar? You see that faith was active along with his works and faith was completed by his works. And the scripture was fulfilled. As it says, Abraham believed God and it was counted to him as righteousness. And he was called a friend of God. You see that a person is justified by works, not by faith alone. And in the same way, was not Rahab the prostitute justified by works when she received the messengers and sent them out another way? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. Faith in Jesus produces work. There's so many people that are like in this passage, I have faith, I trust in God, I believe in God. And, and, and James is like, yeah, it's okay. I'm thankful that you believe in God. Even the demons do that. Like they know that there's a God. But those demons are not actively carrying out the mission of God in the world. They're actively working against the mission of God in the world. And so faith produces works. You know, the way that this works inside of us is that when we have faith in Jesus, God opens our eyes to see needs around us. Then he moves in our hearts to say, you should do something about that. Right? Well, this morning, I, wanted, I want to invite my friends up uh, that, that uh, I've asked them to come and share their story about what God has done in their life and how God has moved them. So first, I want to introduce you, Patty. Patty, would you take just a moment and share with us a little bit about God's, how God worked in your life to, to start the ministry that you started? Sure. Um, seven years ago, um, my grandson passed away. <laughs> And my daughter-in-law, every year for his birthday, asks all of her friends and family to um, do an act of kindness. Well, it was probably about the first year, Lucas and I, because he was only four years old, (laughs) um, decided, why just do one when we can do many? So do you want to tell them what we do, Lucas? Um, we get, so we get bags and we get a bunch of gloves, hats, scarves, hand warmers, socks, a bunch of stuff that people need. And we put them in bags and put them at bus stops. So we take them to the bus stops, and um, one day uh, Lucas asked me, he says, Grandma, what happens if someone takes it and they don't need it? And I said, Lucas, if they're taking it, they need it. We used to call it for the homeless, but it's more about more for the needy, and 
One thing we did realize is that um, when something happens in your life, a tragedy that is <laughs> very hard to uh, take, God does take that and uh, make something good out of it. Um, the church did not know about this for seven years. Uh, th this year is basically when it kinda, everybody kind of went, you guys are doing that? Um, we do um, have a Facebook page, and um, you will see Lucas at four years old when we first started. It was just me and him, and then Megan came in, and, and um, what's your name? <laughs> <laughs> I have 12 grandkids. Okay, Jace <laughs> and Kylie. <laughs> um, but anyone is welcome. Anyone is welcome to come and help, and uh, we do it. Uh, we're going to start doing it the first two um, Sundays of the month. Yes, yeah, so do you remember uh, last month or two months ago when we collected those bags for those, those in need? You guys remember that? How many of you guys collected items for that? All right, well, I want you to know that this crew right here was our force out there in the city of Warren in the surrounding areas passing out those bags at bus stops. And so do any of you have a story about uh, the passing out the bags at the bus stops you'd like to share? Thanks, Kylie. So when we were... We were leaving like the Walmart parking lot or something and we saw this lady, I think she was pregnant and we gave her a bag and then we went to other bus stops and then I remembered that I had babysitting money and I wanted to use it so I gave the lady $20 for anything she needed while she was pregnant. Oh, that's awesome. Do you want to tell them the story about after we left there and went to the uh, hospital? Oh, can I? We went to our last stop. We were, we almost ran out of bag. So at the bus stop, at the hospital, there were three people that looked like they just. Yeah, one of them looked like he had just gotten out of the hospital. He was wrapped up in a blanket. Yeah. So we put the bags down, and then one of the people said, are you going to tell us about the bags? We told them that it's about, well, keeping people warm and if they are in need. And he said we were a blessing. And on our way out of the hospital parking lot, we saw them using the stuff. We saw the guy putting socks on. So socks are definitely number one. Oh, that's, that's so great. Thank you so much for uh, just listening to God's call in your, your life and being real, really his hands and feet in our community. Can I pray for you guys? Definitely. Father, we thank you, uh, God, so much for Patty and her crew, uh, all these young, young kids and the ways that you've used them uh, to touch the lives of so many. I pray, God, great blessings on this ministry, and I pray that uh, we would see gospel fruit because of that as we... Um, Step in and help those in need within our community. And so, Father, I just pray continued blessings, and uh, may we see you do great things. In Jesus' name, amen. All right, thank you, guys. Can we give them a round of applause? So it doesn't take much. It's just seeing a need, having your eyes open, and saying, God, what do you have me do? And then begin to position yourselves to go and meet the needs of those that are around us. So true faith works. True faith does stuff, and it begins with a change of heart. And lastly, I want us to see as we look at this passage that your faith 
determines your destination. The object of your faith or the person that you're placing faith in determines your destination. In verse 46, we see, and, and these will go away into the eternal punishment, but the righteous into eternal life. There are two types of people, as we've seen, those that are blessed and those that are cursed, those that God is for and those that God is against, those that will enter into eternal life and then others that will enter into eternal punishment. It's important that we understand where our faith is, where, what we're trusting in, because if we're trusting in Jesus alone, we are a part of the blessed But if we're trusting in ourselves, if we're trusting in our works, if we're trusting in our goodness, if we're trusting in any other thing, on the day that it really matters, our faith will be tested. And if it's not in Jesus, our faith will be found not measuring up. So what I want us to see as we come to an end and as we kind of put all this together is be reminded that hell is a real place. It's a real place. It's described here in the, in the passage. It's the lake of fire. Eternal lake of fire. Eternal destruction. Eternal punishment. Hell is a real place. And its destiny is for those who don't place faith in Jesus. Second, the reality of hell should call us to call on God for mercy. The reality of our sin has punishment. Our sin, we will have to give an account for our lives and our sin will be punished. And so because of hell, we should call on God for mercy and say, God, be gracious to me, O Lord, a sinner. Wash my sins as white as snow. Third, the reality of hell should motivate us toward our gospel mission. Hell is a real place. People that you know, people that you love, people that you do life with will be in hell unless they hear the gospel message and respond. Do you want to know why God has given you life right now in 2021? He's given you life and he's given you the grace of God so that you will be a blessing to others around the world so that we will be bearers not only of God's life, but also of God's message, so that we will share it with others. I mean, the greatest thing that you can do is is to begin to intersect in the lives of people by investing in their lives and then inviting them into a relationship with Jesus. You're like, well, I've never shared the gospel. I don't know what that looks like. Well, I'll tell you, it begins by building relationships. Get to know your neighbors, get to know your family, get to know your loved ones, know what they love, know what they hate, know what they fear. And then when life breaks and their life, the whole worldview that they live by falls apart, then you have an opportunity to intersect Jesus and say, Jesus loves you. Jesus can forgive you. Jesus can heal you. And you begin to invite them into a relationship. You know, this time of year, God is super active, especially during Holy Week. It's almost as though the Spirit of God does something different as people become more sensitive to spiritual things. This is a great time of year for you to to look for opportunities to invite people into a relationship with Jesus. And maybe you're not ready for that. Maybe they're not ready for that yet. But the greatest thing that you can do is begin to invite them to church. 
Because if they come here, I can guarantee you on a Sunday morning, they're going to hear a gospel message. They're going to hear about how Jesus loves them and how Jesus can forgive them of their sins. They're going to hear that. And it gives you a great opportunity to invite them here, let them hear the message, then you take them out to lunch. And at lunch you say, hey, what did you think about the church today? And they'll probably share with you a little bit about the music, how they liked it, or how we have Christian karaoke. They'll probably, like, they'll probably say things like that, which is great. I love it. But then you can press them in a little bit deeper and go a little bit deeper and say, well, what would you think about the message? Well, what do you think about Jesus? And that gives you the opportunity to be on the front line to, to invite them into a relationship with Jesus. This week, I want to encourage you, especially as we're pointing towards Easter, consider inviting at least five people. Invite a family member, a, a child, a parent, a coworker, a loved one, a neighbor. Focus in on five people. You could even right now, before you leave, this is what I encourage you to do, is like stop and text them. Like even as we're singing out the last song, if you wanted to, text them. Invite them to church over text. Say, hey, I know it's been a while since we talked. Uh, what are you doing next Sunday? You want to come to church with me? Just do that. Put yourself out there and see what the Lord does. But let's take the message that God has given us and put it into practice that there is coming a time of great separation and we have time now to not only live as people of faith, but live out our faith by serving others. Let's pray together. Father, thank you for your love. Thank you for your words that we've heard today. Thank you for the blessing of salvation. But Father, also help us to be sober-minded that if you were to come back right now, some of our friends and neighbors and loved ones would not receive your blessing, but they would receive your curse. Father, help that reality to change us. Help that reality to change how we live. May we not live just going through motions of life, but maybe live on intention, in intention. Help us live intentionally towards loving those you've placed in our lives. Father, if there's someone here today that doesn't yet know you, Father, may they not come to you because of they're scared of hell, but may they come to you because you offer them mercy. You offer forgiveness. You offer peace. You offer meaning and understanding and purpose in this life. You have all of this to give to anyone that would call on your name. Father, as we sing this song, may you put the faces and names of people before us the people that you have intentionally placed in our lives that you've called us to be a witness to. Father, may we see your work in us and through us and may we move to help those around us. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Thank you for joining us as we study God's Word together. We would love to hear how God is moving in your heart and get you connected into the Woodside Bible Church family. Head to woodsidebible.org connect to introduce yourself to us today.